0: It's precisely 11 o'clock. I'm Mark Dolan and it's time for Headliners, a first look at tomorrow's papers in the company of two top comedians tonight, the brilliant Diane Spencer and the marvellous Nick Dixon. Marvellous, brackets and annoying. Big stories, big opinions and a few laughs along the way. Hello, I'm Mark Dolan and this is Headliners, a first look at tomorrow's papers in the company, as always, of two top comedians this evening, the award-winning Diane Spencer and we hope one day he'll win an award, Nick Dixon. Uh, Lots to get through and uh, let us start with tomorrow's papers. And this is the Sunday Telegraph, who are leading with pm turned blind eye to sex pest warnings. Fresh allegations emerge as it's revealed the whip quit in disgust. Over Pincher's role. Remainer civil servants are thwarting reforms, says the Attorney General, Suella Braverman. And Queen's lighter duties confirmed by the Palace. Independent Next Thousands March for Pride, flying the colour fabulously in central London yesterday on the 50th anniversary of the Gay Rights Parade. Also, an exclusive from their writer, Anna Isaac, Tory MP, claims he was groped twice by Pincher. A Conservative MP has spoken anonymously to the independent and he claims he was targeted twice by Mr Pincher first in December 2021 and again last month. The observer next proud to be back uh, more photos of the pride celebrations in London. Johnson faces official probe on plan for 40 new hospitals. The government's official spending watchdog is to launch an inquiry into Boris Johnson's claim that 40 new hospitals will be built by 2030 as concerns grow in Whitehall, that the pledge is unaffordable and has been greatly oversold to the public. Sunday Mirror, Pestminster exclusive. Boris missed chances to probe Pincher. PM was warned twice of concerns about the Deputy Chief Whip. Six more alleged victims of Tory sex abuse revealed. Sunday Times, I was furious and shell-shocked, says man groped by pincher. Prince's honour for Tycoon, who bailed out his failed eco-village. Prince Charles there, mired in more sleaze scandal. Sunday Express, Boris told we need tax cuts now. A cabinet battle is underway with ministers urging Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak to cut taxes now rather than wait until the next election. And last but not least, the Daily Star Sunday. Stop washing warning. As bikini summer set to bring water shortages, let's get hot and dirty. Britons will soon be getting in a sweat with 35 degree centigrade scorches on the way, but we'll be told to wash and do the laundry less often to prevent water shortages. Full steamy ahead, say the Daily Star. And those are your front pages. And we begin with the Sunday Times and our future monarch, Diane. Tell me more.
1: Yeah, so Cheeky Charlie, he has honoured the tycoon Lord Brownnose. Oh, sorry, I mispronounced it. Lord Brownlow, who bailed out his eco You
0: realise you're going to the Tower for that.
1: (laughs) I probably am, because Lord Brownlow has made a lot of friends in high places, because he keeps paying for things. Uh, He offered to pay for Boris Johnson's treehouse for his son. He has offered to pay for all sorts of things for Boris Johnson and for Prince Charles. And currently, this is being investigated by the charity watchdog because uh, the Prince of Wales was um, trying to build this eco village and he ended up building 31 of 770 homes. Now, to me, that's a fail. I'm sorry, it's not, you don't even get a, a mark for effort there. That's just rubbish.
0: In Dragon's Den, I'm out.
1: Totally out. I'm out. Get out, and now you can have your embarrassing interview afterwards, and I don't think you're going to be like the Tangle Teaser and suddenly make millions from it. No. And so what happened was then Lord Brownlow mysteriously buys up these unused properties, Mm. and he becomes part of the Prince's Foundation, and then he starts giving contracts to his own company to do these up and sell them on. It's basically, it seems, that the only thing that's, that's happened here is Prince Charles has failed to build homes. This is our future monarch, and then he's made a rich man richer, yeah. and now he's given him this special award. He's a commander of the Victorian order, which to me sounds like you're ordering a pie and chips in Shoreditch or something. But
0: yeah. Either way, it's not a good look for the prince, is it?
1: I mean, it's a better look than getting cash stuffed into a suitcase or a carrier bag, but no, it's a terrible look, quite frankly, especially when, you know, when the Queen, bless her, eventually does decide to move on and Charles becomes our King, Mm. it's not a good look at all.
0: Well, no, that's right. I mean, look, let's be honest, King Charles is not getting great previews, is he, Nick Dixon?
2: Well, he's not, and you do start to wonder, uh, Simon Evans made a point the other night that, has Prince Charles angered someone by dipping into politics and talking about Rwanda policy and so on because there are suddenly all these stories about yeah. him? So has he annoyed someone? We don't know. That's mere speculation. But it is, it is sort of funny that it says here they he became close to the peer after ignoring the advice of one of his most senior courtiers. We did a story on Wednesday about how Charles always just simply follows the advice of his advisor because he'd received, in that case, a massive bag of money from a sheikh. And in that case, he, re- he followed advice, whereas in this case, he's followed advice it seems to be whatever the advice he follows or doesn't follow he seems to end up with a, a, bags of money i'm not sure how it works exactly. Oh yeah by but... the way
0: sorry i did want to say uh, here's your money for tonight's show it's in uh, is it gold, unused fibers
2: <laughs> see the, the money charles got was in a fortnum and mesa bag. that doesn't look quite on of that quality much. by the way sorry it's it's coppers actually so <laughs> yeah all uh, three pounds fifty right Let's now have a
0: look at another big story, and it's a political one in the Sunday <coughs> Mirror. Bad news for the Prime Minister, Nick. Pincher strikes again.
2: Yeah, not ideal. Uh, in the Mirror, Tory Chris Pincher says he's getting professional medical support after grope claims. So he's been accused of drunkenly groping two men. And it is unfortunate that his name is Pincher. I mean, what are the odds? <laughs> it is unlucky. I mean, the odds of a politician groping someone, fairly high, but then of actually being called Pincher, it can only be worse if he was actually called Groper. So that is unfortunate. Now, it doesn't sound great. He's, he's allegedly groped two men, and there was talk of a, another uh, a, um, accusation where he put his hand on the knee of a young Tory activist and said he'd go far in the party. So I'm not advocating groping. I've never done it. I've been groped, but Mark's apologised for that. And I, I. I
0: mean, it was more. A, it was. It was more a pinch than a grope, actually. Yeah,
2: pinch, <laughs> pinch is your nickname around the office, actually. Um, so, the, so look, it's not great, but at the same time. There are a lot of bad headlines about it, but one has to reserve judgment because we do have innocent until proven guilty. And I do sympathise a little bit that he's receiving medical support, so I do worry about his mental state. Unless you're a real monster, perhaps of the R. Kelly level, you know, we should be careful. What do you think about this, Diane?
1: Well, it it is great that he's getting medical support. Hopefully that will be wiring his jaw shut and maybe wrapping bandages round his hands so he can't touch people that he shouldn't.
0: Yeah, that would definitely help, wouldn't it? Could do that with half of Parliament, frankly. (laughs) Uh, Let's now take a look at the Sunday Telegraph, and it seems factories are facing a winter of discontent, Diane.
1: Yes, so um, factories have been warned by the national grid that they may be having to ration gas this winter as they obviously try to stop relying on the Russian influx of gas because uh, w- nobody knows when the end is in sight for Ukraine. We have no idea. And so the national grid is saying to factories such as Tartar Steel, uh, British Glass, uh, Jaguar Land Rover, they're saying there may be, and I love this phrase, Involuntary restrictions, which is another word for rationing. And whether you like it or not, it's happening. Because apparently they've offered this to some of these factories before and the factories, weirdly enough, didn't take them up on it. Mm. Um, So, you know, it's a question. I mean, we have people like Kwasi Kwarteng, the business secretary, saying, oh, well, we need to keep the coal-powered... ..the coal... Power, power stations yeah. continuing, and I think that's a great idea. Let's not shut them down just yet. Um, we only get 4% of our gas from Russia, but obviously there's a knock-on effect because of what's happening in Europe.
0: For sure. Well, I think it's a, it is a concerning story because it's another economic impact as well, and let's be honest, uh, the economy is already pretty punch drunk. Well, sir, the Sunday Telegraph next, and uh, actually same paper, of course, as the last story... And the 1% are abandoning us, Nick. Tell me more.
2: Yep. Wealthy families free Britain as Tory tax rates take their toll. Great alliteration, but what a sentence Tory tax rates, not communist tax rates, not Corbyn's tax rates, but Tories are forcing people to flee the country with their high taxes. So this is inheritance tax and the high-inflation, low-growth environment, which has led to 12,000 rich people leaving since 2017. People are blaming the dodgy economy, rising taxes, and, of course, Brexit's been thrown in there because of the uh, migration rules. So, and I don't know if we've got a chart. Apparently, we've got a chart about wh- where people are leaving to and from, which has just been shown to me. It's amazing, really. People are leaving Russia, as you might expect. They're leaving the UK. They're going to Switzerland, which doesn't really surprise me. For some reason, they're going to Australia. They must like being shut in their houses by a tyrannical government, and New Zealand, but it's quite they're going to Singapore, which won't surprise anyone. But, yeah, it, so this is the thing. We've got this problem with inheritance tax, and because uh, SUNAC has frozen the income and inheritance tax thresholds for four years, this means a lot more people enter that threshold, and it's, it's quite a punitive tax for just, you know, having a house. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a commie policy. So, yeah, it's, it's disappointing, because, and it's quite an interesting stat here I'll just end, end on, it estimates that the top 0.1%, this is a YouGov poll, and we know they're always reliable. Uh, oh, no, is it, Anyway, it's some sort of poll. It's, no, it's the Institute for Fiscal Studies. And they're saying the top 0.1% pay at least 10% of all income tax, while the highest 1% account for about a third. And yet, a YouGov poll, this is the YouGov poll, says that 62% of British people believe the rich are not paying enough in tax which could just be general discontent, but it could be because big tech companies don't pay tax. Mm-hmm. And, and it points out here, this is shocking, that the Chancellor's of rising the tax burden to levels last seen in the 1940s under the Attlee's Labour government. So that's where we are. Well, around.
0: yeah, I, I've got to say, and I know it's a, a very political debate, Diane, uh, mm-hmm. particularly, you know, left versus right taxing rich people. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, if you tax rich people too much... They go somewhere else and then we don't get any of that revenue. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid that I believe in realpolitik and if it it generates national income and pays for schools and hospitals to have rich people here, then I say bring it on.
1: Mm. Well, as the climate changes, we watch (laughs) the migration of the millionaires and how they travel across the planet. And as the economic climate evolves, perhaps we will understand these elusive creatures.
0: And elusive is what they are. By the way, that was uh, remarkable. So Attenborough was just sat there. I was pinching myself. <laughs> but, but this is the problem with the politics of envy and this is the problem with bashing rich people. The bottom line is that they go out, they buy expensive cars. Uh, what's the VAT on a new Rolls Royce? Probably 30 or 40 grand. And that goes straight into schools, hospitals, policing, defence, you name it. We need rich people, Diane, we need their money, especially now.
1: Well, also, if we don't have rich people, then everything sort of shifts down a bit, and then we've got a new selection of rich people and a new selection of poor people, and everything sort of changes. And if we lose all our millionaires, like you said, then that is big chunks of tax that we are missing. So we kind of need to sort of... Tempt them back uh, so that they can pay the large chunks of tax, which, as you say, will go into the thing. Well, yeah, because, look,
0: I mean, you know, there, there, um, there is, a, you know, a closet lefty lurking within me in the sense that I'm not delighted we live in a world where there are very rich people and very poor people. No. But I just accept that capitalism seems to be the least bad option for human society that we've had so far, because it, it relies on the natural human instinct to want to accumulate goods. You want more than your neighbour. I would humbly suggest that that's human nature, plus the survival instinct makes people hoard. Mm. Um, and but you know, so therefore, the, it it is just the reality of it as how world economics um, actually functions. And rich people are mobile. That's the point, mm, isn't it?
1: Mm, and we're I'm,
0: seeing that in this diagram.
1: Definitely. I mean, what I've learnt from this is that Australia is about to get a hell of a lot more yachts.
0: Yeah. Sounds like it. (laughs) Funny how uh, Australia's become much more popular since they cancelled Neighbours. (laughs) What if we got rid of EastEnders? Would that bring the billionaires back? Oh, my gosh, should we try it? Can we do that? Just a thought. Asking for a friend. Um, how about uh, this uh, other story, which has caught my eye, and it's the Mail on Sunday. Intergenerational mortgages. Diane, what's going on?
1: So, families could be offered mortgages of 50 years, which they can then pass to their children. Uh, so, the idea is, is that instead of kind of buying uh, a smaller house with a smaller mortgage that you can afford and you can pay off and then you own it, the idea is that you go, let us go for our dream house now And you get this mortgage. Do you have to sing
0: is singing part of it?
1: I think it is. I'm pretty sure it's in the small print. Bursting into song, uh, dancing in the fountain. I mean, it's your dream home, right? So it has to happen as the sun is rising. It's all
0: like, like in a Disney movie or something Oh, like my that. gosh,
1: definitely. There's all these clauses. Um, and then once you've got your dream home, you just have a longer mortgage, so sort of 50 years long. Hmm. Now, the idea is that you sort of pay it off with small amounts. And if you happen to die, your children inherit the dream home with the mortgage. Now, I can kind of see the theory here, but my parents' dream home is different to what my dream home is. And there's always a chance, with the way that the prices are going, that you could inherit a massive house with a massive mortgage, which you can't pay. And
0: brown carpet.
1: Oh my god, can you imagine pistachio toilet? Yeah, Ugh.
0: and you know what? What what carpet in the loo? I grew up ah. with. I grew up with carpet oh. in the loo. Wow! And you can only imagine how much
1: the horrors you've seen.
0: Well, <laughs> just think of the human deposits oh, that have gathered on that. That was the 70s and 80s. Carpet in the loo.
1: I must admit, wow. I did see somebody put on Instagram. They had knitted a toilet seat cover. I was like, no, oh, yeah. that's. Oh, they used to they're be ni- all the Nice
2: and warm, aren't they? Oh
1: no! When um, was the last
2: time you saw a carpeted bathroom? Yeah, we used to have them. That's yeah. not that w- weird.
1: Yeah, but you lived in a hotel, Nick.
2: Well, yeah, and I'm from the north. Things were different. <laughs> Can I just say one thing on this story? I saw a very interesting meme. Have you ever seen that meme with the guy in the boardroom and he's, he's shouting at his uh, lower people and they, he kicks one of them out of the window? Have you ever seen that meme? No. Oh, no. well, many of the viewers will have. And it was, uh, it was Boris saying, we need to make housing affordable. One person said, intergenerational mortgages. The next person said, taxpayers subsidised mortgages. And the third person said, control immigration. And he got kicked out the window. So I'm just saying, it's just an interesting satire on the fact that what, what might actually help the housing problem. You know, rather than coming up with all these crazy ideas, some people are saying it's just we've got too many people in the country. I'm not saying that, of course, but some people may say well, you're that. you're entitled to take and, um, you. The, can I just say the only problem with this is that, of course, the bank then owns your children as well. As Graham Taylor has pointed out, not the deceased England manager, but a mortgage broker for Hudson Rose, he says it seems like a good idea, but the problem is the loan might not be affordable for all... It needs to be affordable for the original applicants and the children who inherit it, so otherwise they risk inheriting a liability they're unable to manage. Yeah, too right.
0: Uh, it sounds like a sticking plaster solution to me, but uh, I'm sure that that will be further debated in the weeks and months to come. Well, that's it for part one. In the merest blink of an eye, we shall be discussing why a generation turned its back on the bra, <laughs> including me. I feel so loose tonight. Whether short men are inherently evil, Nick Dixon, and whether you can be working Way class and enjoy the opera. See you shortly. Not even sure. I'm Mark Dolan, and this is Headline as a first look at tomorrow's papers in the company of two top comedians. Uh, This evening, the incredibly talented, warm and kind Diane Spencer
2: and Nick Dixon. (laughs) It's got to be some sort of discrimination. (laughs) I'm warm because it's so hot in the studio.
0: The amazing, insightful, creative Diane Spencer, (laughs) uh, a philanthropist. Uh, an artist, a poet, and Nick Nixon's here as well. <laughs> I don't have to do this show. That's that's a, a view that many viewers share. Uh, let's now go to the Sunday Telegraph and a revolution that I'd like to grab with both hands and offer full support for Diane.
1: Ah yes, well. Um... I I think that Nick will love this story, so I'm going to defer to Nick almost straight away. But Prince Andrew and AIDS thought he performed wonderfully in the Newsnight interview, which is hysterical. This, of course, was
0: the Emily Maitlis... Roasting, I think we could call it that.
1: Yeah, the one where he said, no, I, I I, don't sweat and I was in Pizza Express in Woking, like the interview. And, you know, we would have all thought that as soon as he walked away from that, uh, his team would have been mortified. But they all went up to him and went, that went really well. And it kind of makes you think, what is he like the rest of the time if that went really
2: well? Well, no, I,
0: I get that after yeah. every episode of Headliners.
2: But, <laughs> yeah. This was the um, Prince Andrew and AIDS thought he'd performed wonderfully in Newsnight interviews, so the woman who set it up believed that it had done so well. And Sam McAllister, who actually is ap- apparently a woman, or uh, if such things still exist, just, just for clarity, said um, uh, she couldn't look at anyone after it. She said, I could barely believe, believe his people hadn't stopped the interview. <laughs> and yet, then she goes, and then it hit me. He thought it had actually gone well. He was in such a good mood that he offered us a tour of the palace. Mm. And, uh, and so this was... A, it's just a, this, that was just a story about self-awareness, really. I think uh, Prince Andrew perhaps lost it in the Falklands when he lost his ability to sweat.
0: Well, that's a very good point. Nick Dixon, uh, is Andrew like one of those up-and-coming comics that dies on their backside at a gig in a middle spot and thinks it's gone really well?
2: Oh, yeah, I know. those. I mean, you must have some experience of that, Mark. Uh, not personal, but as an MC watching them, I mean. Oh, I've been there. Don't um, worry about that. But, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? There's, there's some comedians who just bomb for 10 years and they just still think they can do it. It's mad. Yeah, 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 and, and politicians
0: have it too, don't they? The, the seemingly impervious to self-reflection.
2: They've got to have a bit of that Teflon, haven't they? But it can go too far. You're the opposite. You're, you're like absolutely
0: shred at a gig. You'll murder. Yeah. And you'll be like, oh, dear, that was too long.
2: I, <laughs> I know. No joke, it didn't work. And it's better to be like that, to be painfully self-loathing and self-critical, because <laughs> that's how we improve, Mark.
0: Well, that's exactly right. Now, <laughs> Diane Spencer, can we talk about bras?
1: Yes, we can. So, bear in mind, this is a Sunday article, you know, so it's more of a thought piece. Um, so, it's why a generation has turned its back on the bra. You see, obviously... Um, the younger generation are not that interested in the mamouflage that one would wear these days. You have the older ladies who regularly don the over-the-shoulder boulder holder, but the younger generation, they've decided that the, uh, the rack rack, rack pack, we'll go with rack pack. I'm the rack that. pack I've, is I've not I saw that, for that them. in the West
0: End. <laughs> what talented singers they are.
1: The Rack Pack is not for them. Uh, they've decided that the balloon cocoons are something that they can put on or take off. Um, but it means, obviously, there's, there's a knock-on effect. <laughs> uh, because obviously, for example, in 2011, uh, you had the Canadian policeman say, if you don't want to be victimized, don't dress like a slut. And then that led to the slut walks where the women walk through the streets wearing their bras saying, well, you know, don't I shouldn't be a victim for what I wear. And I think that this article is trying to point out that um, older women will be saying, look, you need to wear a bra because your nipples are on display, my darling, and it might send out a message. Whereas the younger women are saying, if I don't want to wear a bra, I'm not going to, and I shouldn't have to change what I'm doing because it's I'm not it's not my fault. I'm not the victim. We're not victim blaming. I don't think I'm making myself. Well totally no definitely blue.
0: basically a woman is not being sexual by wearing items of clothing yes. that do not cover her anatomy. Like as you yes, say, it's the mammoplasty, as you call it, because the, that's partly the function of a bra, especially a padded bra, is to more or less hide a woman's shape, right? To hide her form.
1: It's certainly to, yeah, to alter the form, and it can make your clothes look better. It can yeah. reduce backache. Like there's, there's actually a whole um, heap of reasons to wear a bra, and it stops you getting saggy boobs because um, the skin can stretch, oh, is and that, that right? can be quite painful. Mm.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, I'm wearing a very tight TM Lewin shirt, which is bringing the nips out, which, <laughs> I will be honest with you, is great for ratings. Um, People got, turn I, on just to see them. I get, I get mail. <laughs> but, I mean, look, it, it's a very, very generational thing, isn't mm. it? Uh, what's your view?
1: Well, my view is I've always loved a bra, um, and uh, but I know many people who don't. And in lockdown, exacerbated that. Suddenly there are a lot of women going on Instagram going, I am never wearing a bra again. And it's nothing to do with sort of the protests of the 1970s saying this is a patriarchal item.
0: Because oh, they used to get burned, right? The bra Yeah,
1: we're going to burn our upper-decker flopper stoppers. We're going to get rid of them. But... This is instead just people going. No, they're not very. Uh, some people think they're not very comfortable. Personally, I find mine very comfortable. If I don't wear one, I start to get an ache, so I put one on. I, so I think, I see. yeah, it's interesting. It's
0: a saggy. Is that is that a, a myth? Is that an old no no? Type? That is
1: the, that. It's called uh, I think something like So uh, somis or something like mm. that. Uh, it you, your breast tissue will actually sag because obviously there's Gravity. weight to it.
2: Right. Yeah. I see. Uh, Nick Dixon. I know you've got a lot to say on bras. Well, I think Diane's covered it very well. As you know, Mark, I'm a, I'm a feminist. Covered it very well, indeed. I'm a, that wasn't even a pun. I was just, just, just <laughs> gifted. Um, as you know, I'm a feminist, Mark, so I say women should be allowed to wear what they want, so except nice. in the workplace where they shouldn't be at all. That's my, that's my position. Can
0: I say that as a feminist? Spitter, I did work with a young woman um, in, in television maybe 15 years ago, and she came to work sans the bra, without the bra. Right. Um... We're all professionals. Mm. Is this how
2: you got known, known as Pincher?
0: Well, <laughs> I was Groper Dolan for a while, but no, no, what happened is that this lady, very good at her job, brilliant mm. professional, nice person, but she just was not wearing a bra, and she was wearing a very, very tight blouse, and it was enough to take your eye out, is what I'm going to say.
1: Oh, right, okay. And,
0: and yeah. this was just, it, there was consternation in the office, and speak, people speaking in hushed tones. Yeah. So what happened in the end, in the afternoon? And there was no harassment. No-one said anything. We're all very British about it. Like, nothing to see here. Bloody hell. And uh, a female <laughs> colleague, an older female colleague, who was wearing a boob hammock, said uh, to this lady, um, listen, pop a on because it's a bit of a revealing outfit. Right.
1: So and, what did she, and what did the other woman say? She
0: said, say? oh, I had no idea. She was absolutely mortified.
1: Oh, really? She
0: was mortified.
1: Now that is interesting because obviously there are there are free the nipple campaigns and uh, there are people who who there's an, even an Instagram account which actually uh, shows a nipple and doesn't say what gender it's from because Instagram will not let you show a female nipple will let you show a male nipple so there you go crazy so that's days, interesting isn't it? Uh, that's how she reacted whereas a younger woman might say so what they're my nipples and maybe other people shouldn't look.
0: Uh, so, shall we, shall we th- sort of the full stop to this? Uh, women, yes. <laughs> women, it, women, it turns out, wear what, what the hell they want. Is that, or is that a crazy idea? As long as they
1: don't take someone's eye out, maybe?
0: Okay, okay. <laughs> That's a hazard if ever I saw one. Uh, this next story is from the Sunday Times. And being a man of my stature surely makes me inherently good. Thoughts,
2: Nick? So this is not all short men are evil, trust me, in the Sunday Times. Now, you wrongly implied I'm short. I'm five nine and a half, well over average. And also
0: you're broad as well. Thank
2: you very much. You're, you're, you know, you're barrel-chested. Cheers. Um, but this is about... Um, I've got loads of jokes on hype, but you can check out my stand-up on YouTube. I can't bother doing it. So this is... Uh, so Ben Wallace blamed Putin's aggression on his lack of hype. And it called it small man syndrome. And so John Holmes has written an article rebuking this in the Sunday Times quite well. He points out several things. I mean, there's, there's always been this prejudice against against short people. And by the way, people are talking a lot of rubbish about Putin. Um, Johnson said the other day that he had toxic... He was a classic toxic male, which I thought was ridiculous. It's much easier, though, isn't it, than going into the complexities of geopolitics, the expansion of NATO and, you know, all this kind of thing. Uh, but... You could look at the war, but it's easy to say Putin's nuts or he's too small. And, and uh, this is a good rebuke of this. He's pointed out that Saddam Hussein's six foot, Idi Amin was six foot four, and he has this interesting stat that 1.8%, you get a 1.8% increase in wages for every additional inch of height. And I've seen Mark Dolan's wage slip compared to mine, and I can confirm that. So, basically, <laughs> you get there. paid more, you just, your whole life is better, and it's just very unfair to suggest that small, small people are a problem. As he points out here look who repelled an evil army of invaders, the Ewoks, which I thought was... And Diana's very tall. She Diane's looks even taller than usual there. grown in
0: stature, in, in my view. She hey, does look tall
2: because her torso is so, so, so long and it makes me look short of it. My seat's also lower. I give up. Enough enough about your seat, Nick Dixon.
0: Um, let's, uh, let's crack on to the next story. Uh, and this is a, a very interesting one indeed. It relates to Wimbledon. The Mail on Sunday... And Wimbledon perhaps isn't the uh, arbiter of manners and decorum after all.
1: No, so um, now Wimbledon staff revolt. Workers complain low attendance means they are being sat on the spot for minor issues like taking breaks to watch amid the lowest crowd turnout for 15 years. Now, um, this seems to be a massively inappropriate treatment of the workers by the people who run Wimbledon uh, because they are cutting the workers to make the profit. Mm. I assume that all the bosses are still going to keep their bonuses. And the rest of it. And what has happened is that this this is the lowest turnout at Wimbledon and so now people are being fired for what they say are minor... Um, things that they're doing. Now, some of them, I would say, are not so minor. Like, one of them was uh, drinking champagne. And I think that if you're working, you're probably not supposed to be drinking while you're working. But there were other significant things, like somebody cleaned a toilet. They sat down after they cleaned the toilet, and they got fired. How is that fair? That's absolutely appalling treatment. They're kind of going a bit P&O on them, which is dreadful. Um, and... Yeah, they're just trying to cull people so they're being kicked out for minor things just because they haven't got footfall.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a really bad form. If you think about the number of people that go to Wimbledon walking around with Rolex watches, they've yeah. paid hundreds of quid for uh, centre court tickets and then the people that serve them are treated so badly.
1: Well, also they're selling too many corporate tickets, and the people who are turning up with these corporate tickets aren't necessarily interested in the tennis. They're kind of there for the atmos. Do you know what I mean?
0: Complaints weren't there about empty empty yes. seats on on the in in uh, the center court, or was yeah. it uh, court number one for uh, one ma- major game? So has has Wimbledon lost its luster? Do you think?
1: I think it definitely has.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of its new been... balls, Nick. Yeah, it's been blamed on COVID and the lack of Roger Federer and the cost of living, but. I also was a bit put off by the rules on Russians, which I thought were a bit harsh, and then also... Uh, th- stupid. Yeah. I th- think we're the only tournament in the world,
0: tennis tournament, that have banned Russian
2: yeah. athletes. And as we've seen, none of it's really working. The economic sanctions have backfired, but that's a whole other topic. But And also, I didn't really like the treatment by the tennis world of Djokovic. So i played a lot of tennis in my life, but I didn't really like the treatment of Djokovic, so I was also a bit put off by Ridiculous. that... Ridiculous. ..when he chose to not have the medical treatment that he didn't want. Good, good luck to him. That's yeah. right, his body, his choice. Let's uh,
0: now have a look at uh, The Observer. And Nick, this is an interesting story.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. Should the working classes stay in their cultural lanes? <laughs> well, that's a much bigger question. But this yeah, this, this is Opera Director Condemns, Rob Sneers at Angela Rayner's visit to Glyndebourne. As you probably followed the other day, Angela Rayner went off to the opera and, and Rob mocked her for it. And now the uh, former head of the English National Opera, John Berry, has hit out at this saying that it's uh, incredibly sad and embarrassing coming under attack for going to an opera is ridiculous. A little bit of nuance here, though, is that although, of course, anyone should be able to go to the opera, what Rob was really saying, he, he was saying it was ironic that while the rail strikes were on, she was actually at the opera, being a champagne socialist, as he put it, and that it was indicative of where Labour are politically. And I actually think that point still stands. Although anyone can go to the opera... It was ironic that she was at the opera during the rail strike and it was a decent jibe, I still think, because that, that is what Labour have done, they've abandoned the working class, so it is quite a good metaphor, I still think.
1: I don't think it is, actually. I think that you should be... Like, you've got... All these Tory people doing whatever they want. They're having parties when they literally shouldn't be. And just because she goes to the opera... She was invited to go to the opera. And uh, she went uh, because one of her... I think it was one of her constituents said, come along, and she had a great day. And I think this is sheer snobbery. And also, it is very backwards towards uh, the... um, uh, the opera itself, because um, there was a gentleman, ah, um, uh, oh, damn, the person who produced the Glyndebourne Festival, and um, he said, look, we're trying to bring in new audiences, we're trying to say that, that c- the cultural events are there for everyone, and if you now shove opera back into this elitist mm-hmm. ideal, then you're not saying that it's for mm-hmm. everyone, and Dominic Raab, I'm sorry, but good grief, He does. he is just terrible, he's appalling.
2: The funny thing is, I agree, that anyone should be able to go to the opera, and you shouldn't discourage people. But I also, and Angelina should absolutely go, perhaps with her new mate Jacinda Ardern, and they can talk about authoritarianism. But what I just thought was, just, it's just a very tempting image for Rob to use, and I, I still think it was effective, even yeah. though I agree with what you're saying.
0: There you go. Please don't agree. Uh, it's not good. It's not what the show's <laughs> about. We've saved our best till last. No word of a lie. We've got some cracking stories for the final section of the show. My good friend Nick Dixon will be telling us why America is a mess, why certain smells are making a comeback, the dearth of fat actors. And Diane will be examining the tomb of King Arthur. Not not literally. (laughs) She's not in Diane uh, Jones. See you in two. (laughs) Try the liver. I'm here all week. I'm Mark Dolan. This is Headline as a First Look at Tomorrow's Papers in the company of two brilliant comedians. Tonight, the marvelous Diane Spencer and the uh, delightfully talented and hilarious Nick Dixon. Uh, wow. Let's get to the Times now and prepare yourselves. Uh, Nick Dixon's about to educate all of us and indeed the West <laughs> on how to save America.
2: Yeah, so the, the the article's called Why is America Such a Mess? A bit of a think piece from Adam Smith, not the guy that wrote uh, Wealth of Nations he died in 1790, but a, a, an Oxford academic. And he's saying, riven by cultural wars and arguments over guns, abortions, and elections, the US has not been so divided since the Civil War. And the whole piece is about will there be another Civil War of some sort, and what form will it take? But unfortunately, the piece is... It's interesting, but it's horrifically biased. I mean, for start, it, it's talked about the disturbing testimony about Donald Trump's behaviour in the White House, which was this questionable testimony from Cassidy Hutchin, Hutchinson suggesting Trump was somehow uh, turned into Jason Bourne, but that's a whole other topic. So, he talks about... Do you, do you not buy that story? I don't buy it. There's a brilliant meme, because I, I like my memes of Vince McMahon from the WWE wrestling, and he's... It, the meme goes, uh, Trump can't hold a glass of water, Trump can't walk down an incline... Trump can take out the Secret Service like Jason Bourne, So there's a certain irony there. We, Trump's capabilities seem to change radically depending on, on uh, what's convenient. Now, my problem with this piece is, there's a very interesting sentence here. He says, did the rebellious colonists of 1776 create a country dedicated to the radical idea of human equality, or did they fu- create a fundamentally conservative republic? And it's the latter, but what he tries to do is, he tries to basically blame the right for everything throughout history and change his argument. So he talks about how in the, in the, in the Civil War, those in the northern states you know, wanted to free the slaves, they were worried about the extremism of the Supreme Court, and he's trying to t- make a link with, with, with now and the abortion rule. He misses out the fact that it was Republicans that, that freed the slaves with Abraham Lincoln. He also makes reference to the Jim Crow laws, but he doesn't mention that was, those were Democrat laws. So he tries to basically credit everything good to the left and everything bad to the right, because later he says it's actually a good thing that the Supreme Court would, would give people rights and would give the whole country rights at the federal level while he's saying it's bad that the Supreme Court... Basically, when the Supreme Court's on the right, he doesn't like it. When it's on the left, he does like it. This came out of the article. And he kind of... He, I'll stop here. He finally gave himself away at the end when he said, perhaps the authoritarianism that has infected the Republican Party will fade which was a total lull to me because look at the authoritarianism of the Democrats, especially around COVID. Look at New York, some of the strictest measures, whereas it was Republican states like Florida and Texas that, of course, had the freest states. So it's a very, very biased but interesting piece if you want to check it out, but as long as you retain some of your critical faculties.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they say America's a mess, but, I mean, Netflix is good, isn't
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> Netflix is great.
0: Stranger Things, very entertaining.
1: Donuts are good. Correct. I mean, this is Big, one of those... The Big Mac? Oh. The iPhone? Mm. I would <laughs> say that um yeah, this piece it's in the Sunday Times and if you want to like read about Uh, America and the state that it's in. Because obviously, we've been watching the Roe versus Wade thing and and we we are sort of watching America seriously tear itself apart. If you're interested in that whole situation, then it's a good piece. So, you know, treat yourself like a New York cop. Get a donut, get a cup of coffee, sit down, have a read. And just
0: go for it. I mean, the important Mm. issue, Diane, is that we need America to be a healthy, prosperous, functioning democracy, don't we? Because it's a global beacon for for freedom uh, and for Western values.
1: It really is, and it's alarming that it's breaking down like this because obviously there are then echoes that are being felt across the pond our way. Well, yeah.
0: I mean, I say this, Nick Dixon, to people all the time with this endless America bashing, which is be careful what you wish for. Do you want the world's global uh, dominant superpower to be China an unelected dictatorship that controls its citizens digitally.
2: Yeah, I mean, the America bashing is is bad, but the problem is America's lost confidence in itself, which is what articles like this are about, because half the country hates America now, and, and they're having, an, uh, obviously, an internal battle, which this talks about. The problem is... No one will admit fault. So here, because this article is a little bit biased, he talks about the vulnerability of the system to people acting in bad faith has been dramatically demonstrated by the hearings in Congress about the Jan. 6 insurrection. So-called. They're obsessed with January. The 6th. They're obsessed with January 6. You can tell if you're on the left if you call it an insurrection. But he ignores here, for example, the Russia hoax that was bad faith from the Democrats during Trump's time. The two failed impeachments against Trump. And so... And, and, by the way, there's this claim, oh, Republicans won't accept the election result. Well, it, I watched a 10-minute video the, the other day of Democrats not accepting, A, the 2000 election result, which maybe had some merit with Bush and Gore, and then the 2016 election result, people like Jimmy Carter, Hillary Clinton have repeatedly, put, uh, you know, implied there was something dodgy there, you know, with the Russian interference and so on. So both sides are doing it.
0: Plus a botched foreign policy in relation to Afghanistan and, I would argue, Ukraine-slash-Russia. I think the Americans are really struggling. Washington are struggling for for a position. They seem to be smarting for war with Russia. Mm. And then we've also got America's great cities like Los Angeles and uh, Washington, D.C. and Seattle uh, absolutely riven with crime. You know, just lawless, lawless cities now, arguably at the behest of... Uh, left-leaning governors, you know, I mean, defund the police, all the rest of it. It's a nice idea, it ain't working.
2: And we have the tragic shootings in Chicago, lots of people dying, often black people, and and BLM don't seem to care about them.
0: Too right. Well, let's power through a few if we can, because lots to get through before 12. Um, The Observer next, and are there some things from the past that are best left alone, Diane?
1: (laughs) Sure, I mean, this is a nose for history. Academics are recreating lost smells from the past. So um, they're, they're working under a banner Odoropa, odoropa. It's it's a hard word to say. I'll be honest with you. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to um, create a catalogue of historic smells because they say, well, we we catalogue uh, history uh, visually, audibly, um, and we do it even tangibly. You know, like where you where you go to the museum and you visit like boats, costumes, things like that. But now they want to actually generate the smells. And I was thinking. That would be a brilliant idea because I seem to remember walking around Hampton Court Palace and I had an audio book on and, and they uh, were doing the audio tour and when they were talking about making pork pies for Henry VIII, you're stood in the kitchen and you can hear them making the pork pies. How wondrous would it have been if I could actually smell the kind of pork pie that he would have been making? So they're trying to bring some smells into uh, history um, and create a catalogue for it.
0: Well, I think it's a lovely idea. Apparently... Your smell is the the most enduring memory that you will have. Mm. Apparently, that's the one thing, you know, you forget a face, you forget a name, you forget certain information.
1: But blow off just once in a lift and no-one can forget you. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, I mean, I think that's the point, isn't it? That our smells are our history, Nick.
2: They are, but my only question is, do you really want to bring them back? It's saying here, someone's saying, it's really hard to get the information you need to bring back smells. Anyone who's been to the Jorvik Viking Museum in York it's it's entertaining for 10 minutes but do you really want those smells back in your life i think we have evolved past many smells that should stay in the past that's no, my personal you put
1: them in the museum so right. you go to the museum to smell oh them.
2: yeah i suppose yeah. that's true but <laughs> but i don't know banish all smell that's my position i think the whole of the 70s was just body odor wasn't it <laughs> you do wonder yeah
1: body odor and some other clouds of vapor i imagine i
0: fear <laughs> i'd say so all that uh, rich food Um, The next story is in the Daily Star and it's in Nick's wheelhouse, frankly, Christianity and sandwiches. What's not to like?
2: Yeah, in a bakery threatened with court over blasphemous sandwich that disrespects Jesus, so the Bridge Bakehouse in Whaley Bridge, Derbyshire, had this sandwich called Jesus Christ. I mean, it's moderately funny, Diane's laughing. To be honest, they had had funnier ones, they had... um, My favourite was John Claude Van Ham, which is pretty good. I mean, John Claude Van Ham, that is funny. My problem, of course... Now, someone uh, apparently vandalised the menu in response and someone sent a letter claiming to be from the Holy... Well, claiming they had to give £300 to the Holy Trinity Church. Turned out the letter had nothing to do with the Holy Trinity Church. And this is
1: breaking news on GB News.
2: Is, was it? Yeah, oh, Andrew
1: Eborn was on the um, Saturday morning programme with Esther McVeigh and Philip Davies yeah. and he kind of revealed that he had done some research and discovered that somebody had basically nicked the letterhead because he rang them up.
2: Oh, good. Well done, TB. Yeah. But my main point about this is, is that although it is quite funny and I don't particularly care, the point that, that riles people is you wouldn't do it with any other religion. You know, do they have a cake of Muhammad? Very unlikely. Do they have puns about other faiths? probably not so we we although I don't particularly can obviously I believe in free speech there is this thing that we only mock Christianity in. totally
1: I would have a Buddha burger you know so it would be like a vegetarian bur- burger yeah you could have
2: that but that's not insulting is it Buddha burger
1: I don't think Jesus Christ is insulting
2: it is, it is, if you argue that it's taking the Lord's name in vain for the purpose of selling a cheese sandwich, then which is also a sort of grave well, image, it with, is. I
0: agree with your point, Nick, that it's just that because it's not a level playing field, that you can't have levity with other religions. Correct. Right. Then that's when it's like, well, if, we keep, if everything else is off limits, why are we laughing at Jesus? And I think your argument would be, yes, let's have funny names that invoke all religions or none. Correct. Blimey.
1: on that religious note,
0: and it is, isn't it? Uh, It is the God's day today, so we'll crack on. Um, Sunday Times next, and when I think of the finest vocal supergroups ever to sing, I think of Boys to Men, obviously, personal friends of mine, on Vogue, and Atomic Kitten, who are arguably better than the Beatles. I certainly don't think of Wales, unless you include the three tenors. Diane, this one's yours. (laughs)
1: So, quick-witted whales share songs across the ocean. This is absolutely amazing. Um, Essentially, uh, a group of whales will sort of learn a song and they'll learn all these phrases, and then other whales will sort of listen to the song and they'll go, oh, I like that, that's a good tune, I like that, let's pick that one up. And then they will learn these quite complex sequences, which are little songs, and the songs will travel literally round the globe. Yeah. Um, uh, So it's like a whale in Korea, sort of singing, what becomes the whale version of Gangnam Style, and then all the other whales go, I like that, and it's just global spreading. And and this is the first time that they've seen the sort of animals transmit information like this round the world.
0: Uh, And what are these whale songs? Uh, Flipper on the roof? Your
2: (laughs) jaw's too good to be true? Neither of those whales, though, Mark, are they? One's a dolphin, one's a shark. That's right. Yeah, after after the
0: show, we'll talk about poetic license and, uh, <laughs> and entertaining the nation when we can, where possible. But it's a sweet story, and who doesn't love a whale?
1: Yeah, exactly, right? And, and it, it, it turns is...
0: out, more ingenious behaviour from these subterranean creatures.
1: Oh, it's absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, remarkable stuff. Uh, OK, well, I've got plenty more to squirt out of my big hole. Uh, let's go to the Sunday Telegraph. And a rejected Bonnie Tyler lyric, Nick, or at least it sounds like it.
2: This show has gone downhill since (laughs) I last did it. I was was (laughs) demonstrating my profound knowledge of submarine wildlife. You're right, you're right, of course. They are mammals and they do do squirt. Where have all the fat actors gone, the Sunday Telegraph asks. Of course, one answer is they've become plus-size models. I mean... But this is a strange new thing, is that we've lost the fat actors, is what this piece is claiming. And what we're having to do instead is people having to use fat suits. And it is interesting. Where have they gone? Some of them have died, like John Candy and Chris Farley. But some of them... It is a strange thing, though, isn't it? You have to be gay to play a gay person, and you have to be trans to play a trans person. You have to be, like, a French king to play a French king. But... You can be non-fat and wear a big fat suit and play a fat person.
1: Yeah, but I think this article is wrong. Like, Melissa McCarthy is overweight, and she's a brilliant comedic actress. Like, the, um, this person says, oh, where is the Hattie Jakes? There she is. She's Melissa McCarthy. She's incredible. Lizzo is acting. You've got Kevin James, James Corden. Jonah Hill was overweight. I don't know where he is right now on the scale. Mm. He kind of seems to fluctuate. But there are some overweight
2: actors. So I didn't even recognise any of those people as overweight because I just saw them all as beautiful. Beings, I just thought they—I thought they were slim and beautiful. Okay, you <laughs>
1: just completely ruined your own <laughs> argument there. Well, I
0: might have to start eating <laughs> some uh, some hamburgers so I can get big in Hollywood again, again. Uh, <laughs> first time round, Sunday Times once more, and we know there are a few ugly words that hold such negative power and cause immense suffering whenever they're uttered, and that in order to move on from them, they must be reclaimed, and that is what the French are doing in this case. I think we all know what I'm referring to. That's right, Kevin. Diane, tell me more.
1: Oh, this story is close to my heart because my husband's name is Kevin. French...
0: A very talented, brilliant comedian.
1: Oh, yes, and... Uh, so I'm going to pronounce it in the French way because this is about the French. French Kevin's reclaim the name. Apparently, Kevin's suffer from Kevinism. And that is where uh, a Kevin is most likely to grow up in uh, a poorer neighbourhood. A Kevin is most likely like thirty percent to get um, to not get a job. Uh, Kevin's have just uh, essentially... especially a short,
0: a short
2: Kevin. I mean, just kill yourself. Oh my no. god,
1: a short Kevin! Forget short it. Kevin You've got no chance.
2: His wife's called Karen. It's over.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the popularity of the name, which derive uh, derived from the Irish, quevin Quievin, Quievin. There we go. I'm sorry, it's spelled C A O I M H I with a little thing N. That's where it came from, but. Um we've had loads of brilliant Kevins. We've had Kevin Costner. Uh
2: that's it, but he was and good. He was good though. <laughs> He's <laughs> still good. <laughs> Kevin
1: Klein. Kevin Klein. And of course, uh, On These Shores. I don't
0: know who, <laughs> Bonder, uh, and of course on These Shores, Kevin Keegan. I,
2: I would love it. I was gonna say I would love it if you mentioned him and you did.
1: But the issue is is that um, their woes have even made it into fiction. So uh, there is a, a 2015 novel entitled La Revanche de Kevin, Kevin's Revenge.
0: Oh, there you go. Yes,
1: and uh, he's obsessed with his name and he knows his place. But there's this idea that Kevin's can't be intellectual. So in France, they're reclaiming the name.
0: Well, yes, the Americans had uh, Colin Powell, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, and he was like, no, it's, it's just Colin. We call Colin. <laughs> call him Colin. Sounds like a legend. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Collins, by the way. Plenty of those watching, I've got no doubt. Um, right. Uh, where do you fancy going, Fraser? What's our last great story? What do you fancy? Lord. OK, can we go for the King Arthur Tomb? Tell me more about this, folks.
1: Okay, so, uh, the tomb linked to King Arthur is going to be dug up. Um, They're going to... um, There's a massive stone in Herefordshire um, which has marks on it left where Arthur slayed a giant. It's a prehistoric tomb, it weighs 25 tonnes, and you can pay to go and watch them lift up this stone because they want to discover more about King Arthur. Now, is anybody else worried about them lifting up what is essentially a magical rock?
2: Correct. I'm worried about them bringing back the smell, Apart from that, that was a callback to an earlier story, guys. Nicely Very done. Very clever, wasn't it? This show is
0: not just thrown together, let <laughs> me tell you that. Uh, well, look, uh, team, thank you for a brilliant show. It's been a fabulous debate, and uh, we will, of course, have another Whistle Stop tour through tomorrow's papers at 11 o'clock. And I'm back tomorrow at 9 for Mark Dolan tonight. Very excited, because live in the studio, my panellists are the Crankies! <gasps> That's right, Jeanette! And Ian Cranky are live in the studio giving their reaction to the big stories of the day. We've got a great Mark meets as well and a great big question. Um, A quick shout out to the brilliant Faye, who is our director on this programme, who's poorly? We wish you well and we miss you. And thanks to Daryl for doing a double shift because he is a legend. And uh, of course Fraser and all of the team that do such an amazing job here at GB News on Headliners. I'll see you tomorrow at nine. Keep it GB News. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.